My name's Manisha Taylor. Keep listening to Radio Sangam 107.9 FM. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Right there, Manisha. You're into football. I'm into football. Take me back to when your footballing journey started. I started playing football uh, with my twin brother when we were eight. So we're looking at um, in the 80s, so 1988. Um, but that was also in a time where not many girls played football. At that time, there was a real lack of opportunities for, for girls and women and, and definitely women from South Asian communities. In terms of ever being a player, that would have been quite limited for somebody like myself and maybe others like myself because you you were such a minority. I mean, it's a lot better now, but a minority like on two folds because, you know, in gender and, and ethnicity. So I still realised that that was, you know, that, that was never going to happen. Um, and the opportunities in, to, to play in schools were also limited at that time. It's only now um, that women's football has evolved um, a lot more than it than it was before. You've got far more opportunities for girls and women to play in school. Uh, there's teams available that they can play um, like recreational football, like through grassroots clubs and county FAs. Uh, you've got leagues now, like such as you know, the Women's Championship and the Women's Super League, and those things didn't exist uh, when I was playing. And, and also, you know, you think about parents and communities that for my parents, and especially my mum, when I played, I played for my, I mean, it was a mixed school team and me and my best friend Jenna used to play together and she, she played for Barnet. So this was a, at, at the age of nine and that, that, that would have been our local, our local team. And there, there were trials. So, you know, her mum asked my mum if I could, if I could go along and, and I did. So, you know, went along with Jenna's mum and I got in and I had a great time, you know, it was a great experience, but that was that because for my mum, the, the visibility of not seeing that, or the lack of visibility of not seeing any Indian girls playing. And then it was the, you know, the commitment of, well, now it's not just about, I'll take you to school and you can play at school. This was now another, it was an additional commitment that, that was never going to happen. So carried on playing, but purely just very, guess in very low level in the sense of it wasn't anything structured until I became a lot older because then I was able to commute and that was in my twenties, which, which I then knew that, you know, I'm never going to be a player. I, I went into teaching. So I, I trained as a, as a teach, as a primary school teacher, qualified as a teacher in 2001, a few years prior to that. So I also became a young carer for my twin brother when we were 18. So he developed a mental health condition as a result of bullying. So um, there was a lot going on uh, during that time. And I found, working and, and engrossing myself in in my job was was almost like a release especially because then you know you're not only talking about taboo and stigma around Asians in football or Asian women in football now we're also talking about taboo and stigma around mental health and certainly at that time that so we're going on it was 1998 there's only there's greater conversations now but 22 years ago it, that definitely was not was not spoken about so what I soon realised as I progressed in, in teaching was, you know, I love football. I've always loved football. And being able to use football to connect with my brother would be a positive thing. And it was purely circumstance. So it was in 2011. Uh, by that time, been in education for about 10 years. 
Um, I'd had many, many roles. So I was serving my interim deputy headship, but was also training to be a head teacher and pass my diploma and doing my master's. And my mum had a triple heart bypass. And there was just too much going on. So I thought that I'd come out of education for a school term. But during the, my years in, in teaching and the schools that I worked in, I, part of my role was also linking in with external agencies and sport being, football being, being one of them. So through the partners and the connections that I had made, and bearing in mind this time I'd also gained my level one and my level two coaching badge, I, I found that there was another avenue. So what happened was really, in essence, that when they found out that I was no longer a full-time teacher or in full-time education, it was just a case of, oh, you know, look, we've got little bits of work. Some was voluntary, um, so some was paid. The, the money wasn't great, but fitted into my, my timetable because I had the flexibility. From 2011, it just showed me another, another avenue. And if I think about that journey from 2011 to now has led me to working full-time at a professional football club in a coaching capacity. You know, I've, I've got my own business and I run many projects through that. I'm a vice chair of a board at Sporting Equals. I sit on um, two FA steering groups and consultation groups. And some of the experiences that I've gained, I maybe wouldn't have gained if I was still in that job in full-time education. But also, I guess, maybe if I hadn't gone through the journey with my brother, because a lot of my career change was inspired by and motivated by what, what happened to him. But this is, you know, me saying it in a nutshell, it, it, it's, it's not easy. People who are in the industry and will, will know this, that it's very unfamiliar territory. I'm going from an environment that's very female dominated to now something that's polar opposite. I didn't play the game as a pro. I'm South Asian and I'm a woman on top of that. So you're, you know, you, you've, you've got to gain credibility. You, you get, there's, very, there's a lot of unconscious bias and stereotypes that we know still exist. You have to be somebody who can offer something else, but also be very resilient and bold and be willing to, be willing to learn. So it didn't matter that look, I had a master's, I had a, a degree, I had a diploma. So if I'm honest, it was starting to learn the environment, learn the trade. What does, what does this environment of football look like? And that is at grassroots. So everyone talks about, oh, I want to work in the pro game. And they look at the glitz and glamour of, of the pro game. It's great being, being at a pro club. And look, at QPR, I'm, I'm fortunate to be under somebody like Chris Ramsey. And for people listening in who don't know, he works with Les Ferdinand and Tim Sherwood uh, with the first team at Tottenham. He, he was instrumental, along with John Dunbar, John McDermott uh, and others in in the youth development program of some of the players like Harry Winks, Harry Kane, who, who who have benefited from that. And what he's done is brought that brought that program over to to QPR. So I'm fortunate that I'm learning from somebody who's one of the best coach developers, player developers, and people developers around. But unless you have opportunity, and unless you have people that can um, take you under their wing, which is what he's done. He's been open about that and said that, you know, he took me on as a project. But I also had my B licence before I started at the academy. I also did over 200 hours of volunteering at the academy um, and, and did about five, six other jobs to, to allow me to, to earn and live. But my circumstance, look, 
did allow me to do that. So that's, you know, I understand everybody's going to be coming from a different environment. Uh, prior to me being full-time, I was part-time at the academy for two seasons. Um, I was then teaching, I was working with um, Show Race of Red Card and other governing bodies to deliver uh, educational programs to allow me to earn money, but also help me to be versatile and rounded. When we talk about wanting to work in these elite environments, I think we also have to consider what is it you can offer? What do these environments look like? What jobs are there available that you can actually do? And one of the things that Chris said to me was just in, in terms of him mentoring me is, is he's got to get me rounded. What I could offer, though, was um, vast knowledge in child development and pedagogy and strategic overview because I'd been an assistant head for two years. I'd been a senior leader for about eight years, done my deputy headship, had my headship to post up. I had transferable skill set. What I needed to learn was this football environment. But from taking that career change, you know, I was willing to get stuck in in terms of being the person who's scooping up the dog mess, you know, where, and you got 30 under sevens. Uh, and you're on your own and all you've got is grass and a few footballs, but that's where you learn your trade. You know, you, you learn your trade and how to coach, what to coach. Um, I worked in grassroots football for a long time. Uh, I, I still do now voluntarily, but obviously just with, with my full-time job, not as much. I worked in the women's game uh, where I worked at Middlesex, but was, again, volunteering to, to, to gain experience of what it's like initially then got the job at the development centre part-time, then got a role at the, uh, as head coach at the Centre of Excellence. And then in my last season there, I was centre manager. So I was overseeing with the technical director, overseeing the centre. Um, and when I met Chris, it was just circumstance. So I didn't envisage I'm going to be working in the boys' academy. I, I didn't think that at all. I just, you know, I, I'd, I'd met Chris two years before. I met him again at, at an event. As a centre of excellence, we were folding. So it was in the time where there was a restructure in the women's game. Chris just said, what are you up to now? So I was actively looking, actually, for other roles in the women's game. And he said, look, I haven't got any jobs, but you can come down and volunteer. And that was it. And I thought, if you've got somebody who's willing to be open to allowing you access to a professional football club, you have to take that with both hands. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much what I did. And I guess the rest is history because... It, you know, my time there has allowed me to, to grow and learn. And I didn't think that an opportunity would come up to be full time. But two years into my time there, it did. But again, through another initiative run by the Premier League. So I'm on the ECAS program, which is um, Elite Coach Apprenticeship Scheme, which basically funds my job. But fortunately, I was already at the club. So... I actually applied for the ECAS a few years ago before I joined QPR and I didn't get on it, but went through the process of interviewing and I asked for feedback and I said, okay, well, what do I need to do? And it was pretty much, you need to get more experience in learning within a structured environment. You need to understand how philosophies work and get more experience on the ground. Catch 22, because I wasn't getting into a, getting into some of those environments. So, you know, you kind of do what you can do, but, this time around, the club applied on my behalf and went through the process again. And I felt a lot more confident in interview because I, I'd been at the club for two seasons. 
I was a valued member of the club. I had concrete evidence of what I'd been doing with the players and was able to present that. So that's now allowed me to be two years in. I'll be coming into my fifth season now at the club. I, I guess in a nutshell, that's pretty much pretty much the journey. But it, it is a tough environment to be in. And I know that people say, oh, we want to work at a pro club. We want to work at a pro club that, you know, the, the more I'm in it, the more I see. There's very few jobs then you've got to look at what job could you actually go for? So if you're looking at coaching, if you look at my job, so I oversee, part of my job is I oversee the foundation. So I oversee a phase. And then I also coach two teams. But this is purely because of the way that Chris has structured it at our place. And my, my roles evolved. So I also help Chris and Alex, our academy director, with um, the admin part of some of their, some of their roles. But your roles could look very different. But if I was just doing the foundation phase in full time, there's only one of my job in all 92, 93 clubs. So if those jobs are already taken, that already eliminates you being able to go for that. Then you've got to think, okay, well, what other jobs could you do? So there's, unless you're at a club like Chelsea, where didn't have full-time coaches, so they have uh, Arsenal where you've got a full-time under-9s coach, a full-time under-10s coach. Unless you're at those clubs where Man City has that, where they, they've got a lot more money than a club like ours, you are going to be part-time. So you can't, you know, you look at the bar majority of clubs that don't have that infrastructure and don't have as much money as, as some of the top ones. You're looking at a part-time role. Then you've got to think, okay, well, if you're somebody who's ambitious and really wants to work in football full-time, how, how rounded and versatile can you be so that, if you're working part-time, is there something else you, you can do? Because a lot of the part-time staff that we have obviously have full-time jobs. Now, you've then got to have a job that allows you to get to the training session on time, that allows you to be able to work on a weekend because, you know, you got we, we train on a Saturday, then you also have games on a Sunday. Now, if you're working full-time, that's a seven-day, that's seven days a week because we got an away game to Cardiff, that, that's a full day. You'll get into the training ground at about half six, seven to leave. You're not getting back until about five, six. And if you're those, you know, who are familiar with with the programme, know that it's not just about turning up to the session. You've also got to, you've got individual learning plans. We do reviews every two weeks on each player. We then do a review at the end of every six weeks. We then review every player that's played in the game, do a match, individual match summary as well as an overall summary. So, and that's not forgetting some of the meetings. We'd have player meetings in between that. It's a real big commitment. And I'm saying that from somebody who, who served two years part-time. And the only reason I was able to do it is because I had flexibility in my, just in my life, in my, in my schedule that allowed me to do that. So, for example, when I knew that the six-week six or two-week reviews were coming up, I might not work the day before to allow me the full day just to crack on with it. Everyone will work differently and not everybody's able to do that, you know, because um, th that means that then I had to then make sure that I had enough money at the end of the month to facilitate that or I might have to do an extra day. But it's, it's a tough environment, you know, and like I said, and, that, and this is where I've mentioned to you about or a little about the fact that you're a minority. I mean, how many South Asians are there in a full time in an academy? And there's someone 
can, can give me the statistic. I'm, I'm yet to meet anybody in the games, you know, in the, in the four years I've been within the game, but in coaching, in coaching, you know, and I think it's great that we have a few more now in physiotherapy. I've seen in sports science. I've also seen it as analysts, and I think that's fantastic, you know, um, and it just shows that we're growing in that respect. But in coaching and management, I don't see that. And then on top of that, I'm the only woman. So, and I'm four foot nine. Like, it's not even like I'm big and tall. When people perceive, they perceive me as somebody who's very timid, you know, small, definitely not the person who's in charge. And sometimes you have to be, like I said, you know, coming into the environment, what helped me was having the experience I did when I was in education and being a senior leader, being in front of Ofsted, talking in front of like over a thousand kids and parents and, and having that experience. If I didn't have that, I think I would have probably have got eaten alive because it's, it is daunting and it, and it can be really scary. And if I didn't have, if I didn't have Chris, that's taking me under his wing where I, I, I talk to him every day, you know, I'll talk to him all the time when I'm, when I'm upset or, you know, he'll give me strategies on, on, on what to do. If I didn't have that, then I'm not sure I could be sustaining working within the environment just because it's tough. And then unless we get, you know, you're walking in and you are getting judged on the back of what you look like. That's what you're getting judged. And you're getting judged on the back of the fact that the, the, the culture, it's still an old boys club. Uh, the culture is evolved. It's definitely evolved since I came in. But I'm at a club that's quite unique in the sense that people who know about QPR, you look at our owners right the way down. It's such a diverse club that I don't feel left out or a minority. What I'm aware of is that in my department, I'm the only female. But then again, I go to another club. It's going to be no similar. Well, it's going to be similar, sorry, because it is. Fortunately, it is like that at the moment, which poses other challenges. It's just, you know, in, in, in regards to got to be open to learning. You, you have to know, um, have self-awareness in terms of where are you in your journey and be humble about that and just, you know, we've got senior coaching staff who, who've played pro that but what I'll do is if my, my sessions tend to be in the evenings with the schoolboys, so I'll make sure that the admin that I need to do in the day is done and then I allocate, so I'm on my A licence at the moment, so what I'll do is I'll allocate at least two, two days in the week minimum where I'll come in at 10, so that means that I could, I'll do like a, a 10 hour. So I'll come in at 10, I'll watch the 18s or if there's an under 23 games, I'll speak to Chris and I'll do that. And then Chris might give me a little task to do. Um, but that's all come from me pest being a pest. Uh, and people know this, that, you know, when I came in and I was volunteering, I man-marked it. So it was, okay, where are you going to be? What time can I come in? Am I allowed to come into this meeting? And I needed to understand how an academy works, how the different departments interlink with each other, who does what, what are the job roles that are available? Where could I fit in? Am I able, able to learn Chris's philosophy and what he wants? Because that's the other thing that people think, and I'm generalizing, you can't just teach what you want because that's the same as a school. So I taught year six for about six years. Now imagine the year five teacher didn't do what they needed to do and then the kids were coming up. There's going to be gaps in their learning. This, this is no different. That Different clubs are going to be different, but people that know how Chris operates, will know that he's very rigid and he's got a philosophy. You have to adhere to his philosophy. If you don't adhere to his philosophy, 
then you need to go somewhere else where there, there might be more flexibility. We get given this. So we, we designed that Chris has got his sessions. So me and the other two full-time members, of, like the full-time coaching members of staff, will kind of work out with Chris, okay, what is it you want us to, to work with with these load of players? For the, we work on two-week cycles. But they're his sessions. And then what our job is to do is, and along with the other coaches, is to ex- execute his sessions however individualize it based on the individual needs of the player i don't know let's say we've got we've got like a a pivot play practice if we're doing that is i might do that as the under 30 so i take one of my other roles is taking the under 13 so i might do that the under 14s would also do the same practice except they would tailor it to the individual needs of their player and, and i would do you know do the same but i'm talking about compliance here that it's not as simple as just I can deliver, I'm going to create my sessions. And because a lot of people say to me, oh, but that means you're, it's taking away your creativity. And I said that, that if I'm, if I'm under the mentorship of somebody who's, who's helped to develop multi-millionaires, I'll take that all day long because I'm, I want to learn and I trust his judgment and I trust that he's helping us get better as members of staff, but also therefore, if we get better, we can help the players get better. And that's no different to teaching. Like if I get better as a teacher, I can help the children get better, you know, um, in their learning. So uh, as much as it's tough um, and the environment's really challenging, I, I, it's it's a great place to be. Like, I, I think for me, being at QPR is great. Uh, and what's nice is that I've got other things that I also do through my company and other projects and, and the club are really good about that. And I think that's the other thing that I would say is um, football so short lived ish. I've got a job now. And like with anything, you don't know what's going to happen. I think it's important to have other things. And I never wanted to be personally, never wanted to be defined by football or by QPR. So I think it's important to be around it because that also gives you, wider flexibility with other jobs do you look look at football as an industry if something didn't for example work out in coaching that I'm, one of the things that Chris doing with me is making sure that I can be rounded enough to go for other jobs that might be available that I, I could do like I said it's, it's, I'm having a great time because I'm learning you know I'm around really good people it get, like I said it gives me the flexibility to do other things which which I enjoy the the teaching that I'm still doing outside of the club. Um, and I love working with young people. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> You're amazing. I wish I met you when I started my journey. I really do. Um, I'm a football referee. So, um, oh, nice. so uh, when I saw you on Asian Blitz, Desi Blitz website. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, I was like, oh my God, I've got to speak to, I've got to speak to this person. And um, my page is about, I'm pushing majority of the time women in sport. So, um, and then when I saw your connection with football, I've got to speak to this this person. I've probably got a lot of, a lot of things in common and I can relate. You're very fortunate. You found a mentor. Whereas for me, it's taken me seven years to, become a level five referee um and that's purely because i went into it with the mindset of 
keeping fit. I didn't go into the mindset of, oh, I'm going to take this serious. I just started running around. And then for the first couple of years, it was so tough because I never played the game at grassroots apart from in school. I never played one game at all. Um, maybe at junior level played a game, but apart from that, I never played the game. So when it came to learning the rules, I was like, wow. But then you find out that the yeah. players don't even know the rules. <laughs> which is interesting in itself. Finding a mentor was very difficult. Probably found one about three years ago when I was about to leave the game. Um, I don't know if I was going to say, this is getting stressful. Maybe I could just find something else. And then he believed in me. He said, no, you can get to semi-pro at least. And, that, and I was just like, okay. And then I started taking it serious. And then that's why now I'm at five and then I'm, I'm applying for four. I can see where you're coming from in terms of the support that you need from someone who's already who, who's already in the game. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. It's absolutely massive. Where is the women's game in terms of participation? And also, are you using models from different countries, like say the US, where the girls or the women's game is huge uh, professionally? Um, are you using, are you comparing, contrasting, using examples? Um, talk to me about that. How are you guys creating uh, the models for your club and for the country as a whole? So I sit on the uh, Asian Women National Working Party with the FA. So I can base it around some of the conversations there. But um, I, I did work in the women's game, but that was five years ago. So I wouldn't be able to give any kind of concrete information on that. But what I do know, is um, from the conversations in the, in, in the meeting that participation levels are increasing. It's what they're looking at is how can we have an opportunity to identify talent in saturated areas where you've got a large amount of ethnic minorities. So let's say South Asian being one of them. Because when you look at, um, you know, if you would look at, look at boys' academies, there's more boys' academies than there are female regional talent clubs, which is what they're called. But when you also look at the, the boys' academies, they're often in places where it's quite difficult to get to. Now, that's no different to access for the, the, the girls, but what's even harder is that there's less of them. There's not that many. So one of the, the, the things that have been coming out is that if you've got a high proportion, for example, in East London, let's say you've got a high proportion of, South Asian people who live within that area. What about having a developed something that is with situated within that demographic, which could be like almost a hot pot for talent? Where and then at a certain age, they could then be signposted to a regional talent club. And I say at a certain age purely because one of the other things is around being able to commute. So if you've got, you think about certain communities um, and larger families that they could be other you know other implications so it's not just about one is about where are they playing what level are they playing at but what's the next step because you've got more playing now but what we also need are talent clubs within areas that are easily accessible for our communities and at the moment they're not they're not accessible so when you look at the when you look at the players within the system it doesn't represent the demographic that the clubs are actually situated in. Having said that, you have got a lot more, which is great, um, a lot more Asian women 
and girls who are playing within the pathway. So uh, Simran Jamat, she she played for the under 19s England England team. She's actually just signed for for Luz, who play in the um, the women's championship. Uh, there's there's a couple of other players who play within regional talent clubs who, who are younger. But there's you know there's two or three uh, also two I know who um, play in Syria in Italy. So you've got Millie Chandarana and then there was a recent there was Aksa uh, recently who's um, got, got gone out there and is now playing. So I know we're looking at a handful and there's not that many, but what's great is we have got some success stories and these, it's the younger, like I say the younger, those who, you know, from university have also benefited because we've also got, like, you know, it's different to when I went to uni or, or when many others within that, I guess my, you know, our age bracket who went to uni compared to now. So you've got, you'd like Loveborough, for example, who specialize in, in, in sport, have a fantastic yeah. facility. So yeah. Millie Chandarana is, is a product of that. So she was playing anyway, but Millie was at Loughborough, uh, played for Loughborough Foxes and then got, you know, got an opportunity to play in Italy. And she, you know, because um, there was a project I was doing with, with, with Millie and, and one of the things she met, she spoke about was when she scored against Juventus women. Now that's amazing. You know, that's one of her memorable moments. And then she's now moved to another club in Italy. But, you know, her braveness in taking the move from one country to another, still young, still young as a person in doing that, having to learn a new language, learn a new culture. There's lots of other considerations, isn't there, for when we're thinking about, okay, well, where are, I know it's easy to say, well, where are the Asians in football? Okay, well, this could be a conversation that could just go on because there are so many things that you need to factor in. And, um, What's, what's also good within the women's game is the fact that they do now have regional talent clubs. They do have um, a talent pathway uh, within England. And they've also got, um, you know, with the leagues, there's a championship and there's a women's super league. Now, look, it's not as advanced as it would be in America. However, it's a lot better than, than what it was. And actually, there's a few of us who... who, who who said this, that we think that the women's game is evolving a lot quicker than what the, the men's game is. So actually, we might see a lot more South Asian women or girls who are coming through the system a lot quicker than maybe some of than what we've got um, in the men's game. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there now for girls and women to play, uh, which is great. And I think that we, we will see a lot more than we have now. And like I've just mentioned about four or five, you know, who people may, you know, not, not even have heard of, but the fact that we've got, you know, the fact that we've got two or three that are in the England talent pathway, that's, that, that's something that we need to celebrate. What about QPR? Do you coach the boys and the girls or, or do you? I don't. So I, yeah, I work at the, so I'm full time with the boys Academy. The, the girls is run through the community trust and, I know that their their programs evolving, which is which is great. But I don't have any, you know. And it, we sometimes what we do get asked is, you know, sometimes from the um, from the trust, you know, in terms of making links and things like that. And we would go and you know, people staff from the academy would go over uh, to the community trust. But that yeah, so I don't I don't I don't coach um, the girls or work with the trust. So I'm, I'm employed by the academy. Uh, my role like I said before, is um, to oversee the foundation phase, which is the nine, 10, and 11s. 
while I was also involved. So I helped uh, Chris Ramsey out. He's technical director, head of coaching and first team coach with a lot of admin around his role, which helps me um, with my learning. And it's also part of a personal action plan for me with regards to where I might want to go in my journey within the game, which could lend itself to assistant academy manager or that type, that t- those types of jobs if it's not um, a coaching job. Um, but I also coach, so I work, I've got the, the privilege of working with all the foundation-based teams, uh, but they've got coaches. Um, and I also coach in the youth development phase. So last season I had the 13s, possibly could have the new batch of under 13s, but we'll see when we, when we go back, uh, hopefully next month. And, you know, the good thing about the way Chris structures it is that we don't have set, you're this coach and you're that coach. It's we, I get an opportunity to work throughout the whole development pyramid. You know, we've got our own roles, like I mentioned, but I, I might not be working with the 13s one, one week. It might be I've got to work with the 14s because, you know, whatever it might be. And the great thing is that we know all of the players. And, and actually, if I, am, if I am with the under-13s again in the new season, they were my first under-9s group, which is quite nice. So I would have seen, like, having been there, for a number of years, it's nice to be able to also be part of a process where you're seeing the player's journey over a period of time. And I think that's also the benefit of being, being in a place for a longer period because you get to see that and, and you know, you feel, you feel part of their, a bit more part of um, their development. It's quite busy because, you know, you might get a day off in, in the seven-day week, but of course people know football is very unsociable hours. So, if I'm getting there at 10, half 10, you're not getting home till about nine at best. And then I might be on um, writing up their reviews or writing up their notes from the session. And then you do you go again the next day. And then your days off are never really a day off because you're always doing things, you know, be it for the players or that's the time where I can run errands or I'll be doing work through the company and, and other projects. And then you go again on the weekend. How but, you know, I love it. So. Yeah, that that's true. Um, that's why uh, what I admire about you because you're so passionate, and it's amazing to see. For the the junior cohort that you coach, how many sessions do they participate in uh, a week, and how long are those sessions? Right. So, gen and this is general. So I'll say generally, the our foundation phase will train so these are the nines tens and elevens three they train three times in the week and they one get and then the game so three training sessions and then the game um but each training session for them is is 90 minutes then 12 to 16s it's it's different so it's a lot longer so with the 13s it would be a two-hour session and but then that would again be three times in the week and then you get you, you have your game on the weekend now some clubs I mean, Chris has changed it at our place, so we don't do day release. Uh, we just don't have the one, it's the facility to do it. But more importantly, he, he believes that the kids need to be at school. And, you know, personally, I agree with that. So there are clubs who a bigger infrastructure facility than we have um, and a lot more, say, manpower and people that, that, that can facilitate the education. So it might be that, for example, you, you have there, there's some clubs where the kids as young as under nine would be out of school for a day and then they would be at the club. So that some of their education would be done at the club 
and then they would have uh, an extra football training session and likewise with you know it could that that also could be the the 14s 15s and the 16s same thing it'd be a day release so and they might have day release the older ones could have day release uh twice a week where they come out for a longer period of time but it again it depends on on the club we don't do that we you know our nines to 16s would be in three times a week and they have their game do you but think it's think about parents that's a big commitment no definitely do you think it's possible for semi-pro grassroots clubs to follow something similar or do you think time catches up to everyone because it requires a lot of commitment the thing is this is you know rather than looking at this academy trains at three times a week and they have a games program i think what you've got to look at, what people need to look at is is where are the players in their development so you could be doing four sessions a week no doubt the players are going to get better as a byproduct of that in any case doesn't mean to say that they're at the level to be within the, the pro game like less than 1% they're going to be players anyway in mm. in any case no matter, you know but so i'm not saying it's not possible of course it is and you've got and actually that there are i know that there are clubs out there that do that 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 do train a, a number of times times a week but i think we've got to get away from generally i'm saying that clubs that can mirror what academies do because if i'm honest that when you're coming into those environments at such such a young age we want to keep it as flexible as possible and that can be done for your environment but it's they're still coming into an elite environment and that's tough you're looking at 9 year olds that are coming in to an elite environment and they're coming in to compete and i don't mean win i mean compete because unfortunately for them and their parents at the end of a season or like we do two we we do it over two seasons but there's retain release now not all the players are going to stay so imagine being a 10 year old and you get told oh no unfortunately sorry you're not quite at the required standard at the moment that's that's hard for anybody let alone somebody who's 9 or 10 i think the kids need to just be able to play with freedom and expression with less pressure for as long as possible and when you're coming into environments like academies it's a tough environment and therefore um it has to be such that you are nurturing their freedom to to be expressive and and you keep it child you know say child friendly but also understand and that's and, you know you're going to be biased but i think our environment does that and um you've got to look at the stages of, of development and where the kids are at so people that know about young children and child development the younger they are the more egocentric they are the, they they have a lot more enthusiasm um they definitely don't want to share so our philosophy lends itself to that so we don't really focus on past 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 until they're a little bit older so what we're looking at is okay well you don't want to share as an 8 year old anyway but actually we need to, we want you to be able to master the ball as an individual so our philosophy lends itself to to the ages and stages of where the kids are at but like i said you know i think it it's it's a it's a tough environment particularly for for the younger ones coming in so i think there needs to be as much room for flexibility as possible and i and i'm not a big fan of grassroots clubs trying to mirror what an academy does it they just need to play their kids how do we get more women asians involved in the game 
what do you think they can do? Because obviously, I loved the game, but at a young age, some people might feel that you know what, it's not for them. What do you think the FA or the Premier League can do to get more people involved from certain communities which are not represented by the pro game? Um, well, actually, that they are, and this is you know I had this conversation with somebody yesterday actually, and I said that. Right. The way that the world's evolving is it, everything's over the internet, right, or social media platforms. So if you are somebody who is savvy on, on Twitter and things like that, then you will be aware of the initiatives and the programs and the projects that are out there already. And I'm not saying that things are perfect at all. What I am saying is, is that there are projects out there. Now, if it's not for the Premier League ECAS, I'm not full-time. So I've benefited from, from that program. I've also benefited from the F, uh, FA's bursary scheme that the A license scheme was, was just over £3,000. But I did the advanced youth award and I passed that two seasons ago. That was similar. But these courses aren't cheap. So, you know, it, the, I've benefited from, from schemes that have helped me along the way where they paid a percentage and then I've paid a percentage. So the, the, there are a number of schemes out there that the Football Association are doing with, like, for example, the FA Placement Club Scheme. We've got, uh, we've got a, we had a South Asian uh, coach, actually, who, who came into our place to do a season's internship. Um, uh, there's uh, also the mentee, elite menteeship that the FA does, uh, which, is a full-time, which is a full-time role based at St. George's Park. We've got the ECAS, like I said, you know, programme. But if we... You know, take it a step back where you're not just looking at the elite game. Because when you are, you first of all have to have the prerequisites to be able to apply for some of these internships. So you can't just go from, right, I want to coach in the pro game, and then that's it. It's the bare minimum is a UFB license in any case. So if you don't have that, then, you know, you have to work to see how you do that. Now, the benefit of the B license now is that actually is run through the county FAs which means it's a lot more accessible. Okay, so that's good. So that means that when the courses are running, you can apply. But you also have to make sure that, you know, and I go back to learning your trade and doing your time. Do you, you have to do your time. Do your time on the grass. You have to gain a range of opportunities. You have to be willing to learn and be open to that. And also understand that there's not that many jobs in a pro club. So what we have to do is be rounded and versatile. What else can we do? And that might not be, as a coach at a pro club, that might be, oh, there's a job at the Premier League. There's a job at the FA. Now, it may not be on the pitch. However, we've got to look wider in terms of job opportunities because, like I said, it's not that many jobs. There's prerequisites in any case for some of these jobs that we're talking about. And I think we need to look at what um, community initiatives and community programs and get use utilize the success stories of some of our role models that already exist in the communities and there are that there are there's lots of work being done um like for example we did i held uh, with two colleagues uh, a women in football webinar as part of asian heritage month and got suki tonks who's non-executive director at nottingham forest women there was yashmin haroon who's the chair at um an elected director at, at London FA of, of Muslim Sports Association. You've got people who are doing great work on the ground, but everybody looks at the top. Oh, 
how many how many coaches are there in in the pro club? How many players have we got in the pro game? That that's what everybody looks at. That has its place, and I understand that. I've mentioned a couple of schemes, you know, that are out there to help redress the balance. But what we also got to do is look at um, the great work that's going on, you know, at community level. Like you've got Punjab FA, there's a Kausa Federation, there's Sporting Kausa. There's so many that, you know, I could, I could list that are doing some great work to engage with the community. So we know that that's happening now. We do know that. What we recognise, which is what you said, is that at the top end, you haven't got a demographic of minorities. So what we then have to do is, like, like, like somebody like myself, is then look at, okay, well, how can we break down that barrier? What can we do? And that's where some of the, look, I'm not saying that the, the initiatives are the only solution. What the initiatives do provide are some opportunity to, to be able to go into, go into these environments. And like I said, for me, you know, it, the opportunity was through already of meeting Chris before and a conversation. But had I not had my B license to begin with, then actually, and also gone and done the 200 odd hours volunteering and learned the philosophy and been there all the time, it wouldn't have mattered whether I had the conversation with him or not. You know, it was right. Do you have your B license? Yeah. Does she know that she learned the philosophy? Yeah. Okay, right, we've got an opening that's come up. You'll be working with the undernights. That was it. And then it was right, I need to make sure I keep learning it. I need to get better at learning it. I need to understand, okay, when the players are moving from nine to ten, so what does that look like? You know, what, what do I need to help um, help them prepare for? We've got to look at ground level. Let's look at the, the great work that's been, you know, that's been done already and celebrate those success stories. Get involved in that. And then look at your own self. And then look at, okay, am I best prepared? Ask yourself the question, am I prepared to go and work in these environments? Because it is a tough environment to be in and you have to be in the best possible position to be able to hold your ground and be confident in, in, in yourself, in your knowledge, in your experience, have the qualifications, have a breadth of experience that you can draw upon so to be able to stand up on your own two feet to say, actually, yeah, I'm just as good as you are. Wow. Well... I think we need about a thousand of you, put you all across the UK. And I can see the, um, the grassroots level improving uh, a lot. Um, finally, which football team do you support? Well, obviously, I've got to say QPR. Um, I support Arsenal, but I must admit, when I started to work at the club, it's, you're so engrossed in what's going on in your club. Like, you know, I'll go to the first team games. I, know, I want to know about the players. Um, when you're in and around the 18s and the, and the 23s, you get to know what players are getting in the team. But you're, but that's purely me. It's because I want to. I've just immersed myself in the environment and, and wanted to learn more and more. Um, but I do, I do follow Arsenal, and, I, and I'm pleased that you know under Arteta that we're we're doing all right now. <laughs> I think we're doing all right now. You're doing yeah. all right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, thank you yeah. so much. It was, also, it was only supposed to be a 45-minute interview, but I was just, uh, I'm just in awe. And you're someone who's inspirational. And I think a lot of people uh, will look at you and think, oh, my God, you are a role model. And you've basically given us a pathway of what to expect and how to get there. So congratulations to you. And um, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
You take Thanks. care. God bless. Take care. Bye. Bye.